Well, good morning, everybody. <laughs> you can do better than that now. Good morning, everybody. Okay, everybody's awake. That is wonderful. Turn your Bibles, if you would, to the book of 4 Samuel, chapter 30. 4 Samuel, chapter 30 in your Old Testament. Um, pastor is away, so I uh, got the opportunity to come and speak this this morning. Tonight I will be preaching in an outreach up in Northern Ireland, so pray for me this evening. Um, we're going to look at a wonderful piece of the Bible, about a wonderful character in the Bible, and the help that the characters in the Bible can be to us is just mind-blown. Um, I was finished my message. I finished my message last night down in uh, Mullingar when I drove the tents down to Mullingar. And then uh, this morning when I came in, I was looking over my notes. Uh, I, just kept, I just kept studying it, and I was adding to it, and adding to it, and adding to it. So you'll probably be eating cheese and rice in the car on the way home. Uh, the message is that long. But uh, I'm glad I get the opportunity to come and speak to you. Pastor's away preaching over in America. He's not over there on his holidays. You will not see Facebook things of him in his shorts and his sunglasses on. It's not like that. He's on a trip. He's over preaching, so uh, he's working hard. Um, so uh, pray for Pastor and the family as they're away. Uh, they'll be back uh, this coming uh, week. Uh, but let's go before the Lord in prayer. And we'll ask God to prepare the ground of our hearts before we look to his word. The message this morning will be encouraging ourselves in the Lord or how to encourage yourself in the Lord. Let's go before God and pray. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would help each person in the room this morning, Lord, to, to really have their hearts ready to receive the message this morning. Lord, would you use your word to, to speak to our hearts? Would you help us to be encouraged, to help us to be transformed into the image of Christ this morning, that we might know how to deal with difficult times, that we might glean truth from your word that might be a help to us this morning, I pray. Lord, we pray for pastors. He's away, oh God, would you have your hand upon him? Would you use him greatly as he preaches your word? Uh, Lord, we do thank you for him. We pray, Lord, that you will keep him safe and bring him back here safe. Uh, but Lord, this morning, Lord, we're coming to hear from you this morning. Would you speak to us, we pray in Christ's name, amen. All right, so let me give you some introduction to the book of 4 Samuel, chapter 30. Um, David, um, David was a man who was, uh, who was destined to be king over uh, the children of Israel. He was going to be the second king. The king, uh, the first king was Saul, King Saul. And David was, it was, it was foretold that David was going to be king. He was anointed by Samuel that he was going to be king. And, uh, you know, we know the story. He killed Goliath and all that kind of stuff. And then Saul turned against David, and David had to go on the run. So that's the type of man that we're dealing with. We're dealing with a man who is basically spending his life on the run. He spent four years running around Israel, getting chased by the armies of Israel, God's army, chasing him around Israel. And after, after some time, he, he kind of got fed up running, and he was born out running. So he went, and he went to the king of Gath, and uh, Achish was his name. He went to the king of Gath, and when he went in, the king of Gath didn't trust him, and David overheard the king of Gath in 1 Samuel, I think it's 27 or 22 or something like that, and he heard him, or 21 it is, and he heard him, he heard him saying um, words that he didn't trust David. And this is what David says, David, and David laid up these words in his heart, and was sore afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. And he changed his behavior before them and feigned himself mad in their hands and scraped on the doors of the gate 
and let spittle fall down on his beard. Then said Achish to the servants, Lo, see ye, this man is mad. All right? So when David first meets the king of God, he's going to be an important man in David's life. Um, but when David first meets him, you know, there's questions about David, because David is the king. He's going to be the king, and, the, and Achish knows this. And um, Achish's men didn't trust David. And um, David pretends he's a bit of a nutcase, and he lets Spittle fall down his beard. He's scraping on the doorpost and all that. He's acting like a lunatic. And they send him away. And he goes away anyway, and he goes, and he meets up with the rest of his men. And, you know, he, he eventually comes back around after, after uh, some time, and he ends up going back to Achish. And they become friends. They, they you know, Achish likes him. Uh, he respects him. He trusts him in the end. And Achish ends up, he, he, Dave ends up living with Achish for a year and four months. Okay? So that's a long time. You're spending time in somebody's city in their presence for a year and four months. You know each other well. Uh, and the two of them did. They got on well. And David ends up going to him and he asks him for a place to live for him and his men. David has about 600 men and their families. And he asks him for a place. And Achish ends up giving him the city of Ziglag. Okay? So that's how in 4 Samuel 30, David ends up having a city. Because you will know when you're reading the story, he goes on the run for four years. And then he's given a city and it's outside of Israel, so Saul stops chasing him because he can't go invade in other countries in order to look for David. David goes to live amongst the Philistines and all that kind of stuff, and he goes to fight for them at times. And David ends up getting his own city for him and his men so he could settle down. And that brings us into 4 Samuel chapter 30. That tells you how David got this city. He was given it by his friend, the king of Gath. Okay? Now look at verse 1 of chapter 30 with me. This is the kind of leading up to it, to what we're going to talk about. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziglag on the third day, uh, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag and smitten Ziglag and burned it with fire. And they had taken the women captives uh, that were therein, and they slew not any, neither great nor small, but carried them away and went on their way. And David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire. And their wives and their sons or daughters were taken captives. And David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captive, uh, am the Jezreelites, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed, the Bible says. You see, he'd been running from Saul for eight years. And when you're running and you're on the run and you're hiding out, you know, he was running in Israel for four years. And when you're running around Israel and you know the, the army's after you, you know, every time, you know, you go around the corner or you come to the brow of a hill, at any moment you could bump into a, 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 one of Saul's uh, troops or one of the, one of the uh, portions of his army. And you're always on edge. You would camp out and you would often sleep rough. You would often sleep in caves on the side of hills and in fields and stuff like that or in the edge of a forest. And you can imagine you're lying down and you hear a rustling in the bushes. What automatically comes to your mind is, oh no, this is the day I'm going to get caught here. And he's all the time living on edge. He's not able to relax. And it would have been a really difficult way to live. You know, he had been anointed the next king and Saul refused to step down and relinquish his power. Uh, no matter what God said to him. 
And, you know, David had been a fugitive. He's on the run. He's constantly hiding from Saul's army who are sent out to kill him. Um, but David gathers around him a bunch of men. I want you to skip back to 4 Samuel 22. I just want to show you what type of people David hung around with. David used to run an RU, if you didn't know that. Uh, he used to run an RU program in the wilderness. Um, but uh, David, look at 4 Samuel 22, verse 1. Now this is where David, this is right after uh, David had pretended to be mad and he went away from, from the king of Gath. And it says, And David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave, to the cave Adullam. And when his brethren and his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. And every one that was in distresses, and every one that was in debt, and every one that was discontented, gathered themselves unto him, and he became a captain over them. And there were about, uh, about 400 men. You know, some were his family members, some were in distresses, they were in the, under pressure, some were in debt, they were running from bankers and creditors, and, you know, they, they couldn't pay the money if they wanted to. It says some discontented, they couldn't find joy or any other reason for living, um, but things changed for them when they met David. You know, that's why David is often likened to Christ. You know, he would take all men onto him, and, and it didn't matter what your background were, uh, you could become one of David's men. He ends up with about 600 men after a time, and their wives, and they all assemble around David, and they're, they're basically fleeing from Saul's army. But in a sense, David builds himself a little army, a little a bunch of men, and they're called David's mighty men. And uh, some great warriors and great stories that, that come off the back of, of David's men. But David's men aren't your normal people. They're, they're people that are the outcasts of the world. They're the down, they're the destitute, they're the broken people of the world. But with, with David's help and his encouragement, they become, in a sense, a people group of their own, and they end up in their own city called Ziglag. And, uh, you know, there's, there's, they're in trouble. In the start of the story, we read David and his men, they had been away for a few days. And they had actually been away with the king of Gath, and they were going to go fight against Israel with the Philistines at one point. And the Philistines didn't trust them, and they sent them home. So that's why David was out of Ziglag. That's why him and his men were out. They were out at battle. And when they were sent home because they didn't trust them to fight with them, they came home. And you can imagine coming home, thinking that you're going to see your family for the first time in, in, a, in a couple of months. Every, there's going to be a big celebration. There's going to be a big party. Everybody's going to have a good time. But you start coming around and coming over the hill, and you start to see smoke bellowing from the sky. And those happy thoughts and those expectant thoughts of having a good time and seeing your kids again are suddenly ripped from your heart. And suddenly you think to yourself, oh no, what's that going on? And David and his men, they, they run and they see the smoke and they get there and they turn up at the city and instead of having their families and spending time relaxing and just chilling out with their families, it just hits them like a ton of bricks. Everything they own is destroyed. Everybody that they know has been taken captive. All their animals are gone. Every bit of, uh, you know, financial uh, finances that they had are all gone. Everything that they owned is gone. And David and his men, the 600 men, are left and, and they're left and they're broken 
and absolutely uh, weeping. And in those days, you, you couldn't just phone 999 and say, hello, we've had a break-in, our house is on fire. You know, they, they were in trouble. Everything they had was gone. They were just a bunch of men coming back from a fight, and now everything that they own is, is disappeared. They don't know what's out there going on. You know, the Amalekites had gone and attacked and, and, and taken everything that they had. And as a man, I'm sure David and his men felt like failures, that they weren't able to protect their wives and their children, and they had lost everything. And, you know, it just hit them. Remember, these are hardened warrior men. And the Bible says that they came to the place where, um, where they were absolutely broken. And David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captive. And David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. Here we have grown men, warriors of men. And they're that heartbroken about the situation that they're in, that they're all weeping. They're all crying their eyes out about the situation that they're in, and they've no hope. And then anger starts to swell up in them. And they started looking for somebody to blame. Don't we do that often? Something goes wrong, and we blame God, or we look for somebody else to blame you know, we look for somebody else to point the finger at so we don't take responsibility for ourselves. And, you know, here we have these men. And these men haven't done anything to deserve their families been taken away. But yet they turned on David. They turned on the very one that had given them help, that had given them hope, that had uh, helped them when they were in distresses and in trouble. And they began to murmur. They began to slowly pick up stones and rocks. And they began to circle David. And the Bible tells us that his own men were going to stone him. Now this isn't like an RU stoning. This is a proper stoning. They were, going to, they were thinking about murdering David. They were so angry. They were so upset about what had been lost in them. They were going to murder David. And you know, David doesn't panic. He doesn't run. David does what David knew to do. Look at verse 6 with me. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because of the, all the people were grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. So how did he do that? Because there's some lessons that we can learn that can be a help to us, that when we're under pressure, when we're distressed, when trials come into our lives, when difficulties come in and we don't know what to do, we can learn lessons from what David done. David remembered the victories that he had, been, uh, that he had had. He remembered the small victories. He remembered the victories about the bear and the lion when he was defending his sheep. And never dismiss the small victories that God gives you in your life. You know, we always want to look to the big victories, but never dismiss the small victories. But David also remembered the big victories that he's had in his life. David remembered killing Goliath with the sling. You know, David in times past had been able to, you know, keep his eyes on the Lord at a time when he had to go down and face that monster Goliath. So David has been in high-pressure situations before. 
And David was in a position where I have seen victory before. I can see victory again today. And even though that time he was fighting an enemy of God, this time his own men were turning against him and there was problems uh, with his own men. But David still was able to look back at the victories that he's had in his life. And he was able to come to the place where he could see God in, in the situation. And he wasn't just there on his own. You know, and every one of us in here has had small victories. I'm sure everybody in here has had some big victories. You know, if you've come to the place where you got saved and you trusted Christ, that's a big victory. You know, that's probably the biggest victory you're ever going to get. You know, and, and if God's done that in your life, you can look back to that time when, when you're in trouble and you're in distresses and remember the victory that God done in your life. It's so easy for us to keep track of th- the bad things in our life. You know, if you were to ask, when I was uh, uh, doing my diploma, uh, they got us in in the class and they wanted us to write down um, 20 things about, no, they wanted us to write down some good things and bad things about teenagers, what we thought about teenagers. And I tell you, we filled up the negative points, okay? Like that, no problem, had them all filled in. And when it came to the positive points about teenagers, there was like five things down or something like that and everybody's scratching their heads and nobody knows what else to write. You see, through the eyes of a human heart, it's so easy to see the negative and it's a lot more difficult to see the positive. You know what? It's so easy for us to focus on the negative stuff that's going on and totally miss what God's doing on the positive. You know, it's so easy to focus on your failings or, you know... The things that you can't change and the loss of friends and troubles in your home or your job or struggles in your finances or or moaning and complaining about the weather or the government or some politician. It's so easy to focus on the negative when, you know what, if you just focus on the negative, you're going to be in trouble. It's far more important for you to focus on the victories and the positives that God has given you to the answers of prayer that God has given you in your life, to God's goodness in your life. If you want to get encouraged, you need to count your blessings. And we know the song, name them one by one. You know, thank God for the day you got saved. You know, thank God for, you know, the church here. You know, uh, thank God for, a, for the prayer request that he's answered in your life. You know, thank God for the provision of your needs that he has met. Thank God for the day you got married or for the day your kids were born. Or thank God for, you know... The time he got you out of that sticky situation where you were in trouble and you called out to him and suddenly he rescued you out of the trouble that you were in. You know, you need to remember and keep track of the victories. You know, um, you know, uh, David in his life, he just, you know, he, it was automatic thinking for David. He didn't have to have a plan. David just remembered these things. You know, he encouraged himself in the Lord. He not only remembered his victories, but he remembered his calling. You know, David was quite content being a shepherd boy at one point. He had the responsibility passed down by his father that he was to care for the sheep and look after the sheep. And, you know, that was a big deal because it was an important job for somebody, you know, to look after the sheep. That's basically the family's wealth. You know, David was responsible for taking care of the sheep. And it was a good calling. He was called to be a shepherd. His father had called him to be one. You know, then God drew close to to David and God called David to be a king. You know, and, you know, David had bigger brothers and better looking brothers than him. But God passed by all them and went to the, the smallest guy in the family 
And David chose, God chose David over his brothers. 1 Samuel 16, 1 says this, And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long will thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thy horn with oil and go, and I will send thee to Je- Jesse the Bethlehemite, and I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hear of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with thee, and say to him, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. And call Jesse to sacrifice, and I will shew thee uh, what thou shalt do. And thou shalt anoint me him, I name unto thee. And you know what? Everybody thought it was going to be one of David's big brothers that were, were going to be called to be the king, but no. Sometimes they, God doesn't call the people that you would expect to be leaders. Sometimes God calls the, the run to the litter. Sometimes God calls the ones that have been broken in the past. That's certainly who David uh, surrounded himself with. David remembered God's calling in his life. David never forgot that God had called him to be king. You know, David never got over the fact that God had a job for him to do. Yes, his, his ultimate calling was to be the king over the children of Israel. But it wasn't for that day. God hadn't made a way for him to be king at that point. His ultimate calling was to be king, but, but he wasn't, uh, wasn't at that position just yet. His calling in life, in a sense, was to lead the 600 men and their families that God had placed uh, around them. That was his job. His calling was to lead them as a spiritual man and not an angry man. You know, David certainly was a spiritual man. He wrote most of your book of Psalms. His son wrote the book of Proverbs. You know, David was a, was a mighty man. You know, he was a spiritual man. His calling was to help, though, help the people around him to get their families back and not to, not to fight against each other. His calling from God was to, was to lead the men that God had called around him. I wonder, do you know what the Lord has called you to do in your life? Do you know what, God, what job God has in store for you? Or are you just going through life blinded to God's calling in your life? Everybody here has, a, has the calling of God on their life. Let me, let me give you a verse. Um, do you know that the, the Lord has a calling for your life? And, you know, uh, in Sunday school we looked at, we looked at uh, Jesus coming back and us going to heaven. And you are, at a certain point, your calling is you're going to go to heaven, but not today. So what are you to do today? Well, this is what Jesus said. Jesus says in John 9, 5, uh, and, and listen, to, listen to the verse. It says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. The key there is, as long as I am in the world. Jesus says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he says in Matthew 5, he says, ye are the light of the world. You see, when Jesus was here on earth, he was the light of the world, but he he went back to the Father, and we now are the light of the world. We need to be different. We need to be light. That's your calling for today. Be the light of the world. Be a light in the world. You know, um, back to to David and the story. You know, David came to the realization in his life that that God had a calling on his life, and although he had big things to, to fight against in his life, uh, when it came to Goliath and stuff like that, David had a heart, and, and you, you remember the statement he said, and when he was fighting Goliath, he says, um, "Is there not a cause?" You know, David asked the people, "Is there not a cause around them?" You know, David didn't lose the head off them when people around them lost their heads. 
when he went as a young boy and he stood in the armies of Israel and looked at what Goliath was saying and looked at the way Goliath was treating God's army and treating God, David, David's knees didn't shake like the rest of them because David looked and David saw God when the rest only saw Goliath. And here we have David's men and David's men are just looking through eyes of anger, going to kill him and blaming him when David again can see God and see God's in the situation. You know, um, uh, let, me, let me skip down a wee bit. Um, you know, David remembered who was relying upon him, who was, who, was, who was looking to him. Look at verses 5 and 6 there in uh, chapter 30. And David's two wives were taken captive. You know, David had two wives. That's not a good idea. That's just the way it was back then, okay? Uh, you haven't got a Bible verse to go and get another wife today. Um, uh, but David had two wives. His two wives were relying upon him to do the right thing. And look at verse 6. And David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him. Because the soul of the people was grieved. And every man for his sons and his daughters. You know, David looked at the people and the men around them, and they needed David to lead them at that point. Their heads were gone. You know, they were struggling. They were just in grief. They couldn't think straight, but David thought straight. David encouraged himself in the Lord, the Bible says. David has 600 men looking at him, needing direction, needing leadership, you know, needing uh, hope. You know, he has his own family, his two wives, and he has several children at this point. You know, they need him. He has people relying upon him. He has people looking to him. He has people that desperately need him to make right choices and do right. You know, and uh, when all their families, you know, uh, uh, were gone, you know, there was no hope for the men. And, you know, they needed somebody to start acting on their behalf and to take action for them and to come up with a plan and to see the bigger picture in life rather than just focusing on the problem that was in front of them that day. You know what? David couldn't waste any time wallowing in self-pity at that moment. His life was under threat. They were going to kill him. You know, they were going to stone him. And, uh, you know, David encouraged himself in the Lord, the Bible says. You know... Every one of us in here has people that are looking to us, that are leaning upon us, that are looking to us to, uh, for strength, that are looking for us as an example, just like David's family were and just like David's men were. And, you know, if you have kids or a family, you know, you have workers that you work with, you have people here in school with, you have people here in the church, you have other men in the men's home, you know, other people are relying upon you to do right, so you're the steady and example in their lives. And we have to do right. You know, uh, we have to make sure that we have a good testimony with the people around us. And when everybody else was looking for somebody to blame, the Bible says in verse 6 that David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. David remembered God. I wonder when you go through trials and difficulties, do you remember God? Or does God just get blanked out and pushed aside and you try to work out the situation yourself? You do, you end up like David's men looking for somebody else to blame. If you can come to the place where you remember God, you look to God, you'll find yourself encouraged. Because when you find and you remember God, 
you'll start to see God is bigger than the situation that you're in and that God has allowed the situation that you're in to be in your life. You know, David remembered his God. You know, he he didn't just encourage himself. It wasn't a self-help program or something like that. He was trying to encourage himself. He encouraged himself in the Lord, the Bible says, in the Lord his God. You know what? He remembered remembered his name. You know, uh, let me give you a verse. Uh, Psalm 20, verse 7 says this. says, uh, It says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Now, David wrote that at another point. Listen, David remembered God. He remembered God. He remembered who he was trusting in. He remembered the things that God had done in his life. He remembered the times past where God had met needs in his life and God had rescued him and God had kept him safe when Saul was chasing him for the past four years. He remembered what God had done. When problems come into our lives often, we take our focus off what God is doing, we place it on our problems and we start getting in trouble. Isn't that what Peter done when he got out of the boat? He was going fine when he was focused on God. As soon as his focus changed to the wind and the waves, he starts sinking. David couldn't afford to sink at this point. The people that were leaning upon him were needing him to do the right thing, were needing him to make right choices at that point. And David remembered God and he was able to stand because of it. He remembered himself that God was on the throne, that God was still in charge, and that all things worked together for good. You know, he remembered uh, what God had done in his life, even though it was a dark hour for him. He remembered how to pray. Look at verse 7 and 8. And David said unto uh, uh, Abathar the priest, Amalek's son, uh, Abimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod, and Abathar brought him thither the ephod, uh, brought thither the ephod to David. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue. And thou shalt surely overtake him, and without fail, recover all. I tell you, what an answer to prayer. He put God forced in his situation. And God answered his prayer straight away. And God gave him victory straight away. David was, uh, David was set at this point. And listen, you know, he, he had to change the situation around. If David didn't bring God into the situation, you know, his life would have been ruined at that point. He desperately was in need of God. And God stepped into his situation and met a need. And before, you know, David done anything, it was vital for him to bring God into the situation. And and it's vital for us to do the same too. And, you know, remember, David didn't pray some set prayer. David didn't pray five Hail Marys and two Our Fathers. David prayed and he just cried out to God and begged God. And he said, God, what do you want me to do here? Shall I pursue after them? You know, shall I overtake them? You know, what will I do? God says, pursue. What an answer to prayer. What? What a focus David had to even in the midst of trials and difficulties to have a heart to go straight to prayer. You know, it was real for him. You know, he got strength and wisdom and direction and clarity of mind. And, you know, uh, he, he got all those things from God when he came to pray. Even with his 600 men ready to stone him, David knew it was more important to get his orders from God and God's promise of victory than to listen to what the men were saying. 
If David was to focus upon the men, he would have started making excuses for what happened. But David looked to God and God gave the victory. They remembered how to fight. Look at at verse 9 there. He remembered how to fight. He fought cunningly. Look at verse 9. So David went, he and 600 men that were with him, and they came to the rook Besor, where those that were left behind stayed. David didn't wait until the morning. He took off right away. You know, once he got the the answer from God, he took off right away because he wanted to have the element of surprise. You know, he followed them. He found out which way they had gone, and he, pre- he was prepared to win back uh, the, the people that they had lost. He was prepared to fight for every home and every family that, uh, of the people that he knew around him. He was prepared to go and fight the, uh, the Amalekites, even though they had more men. You know, it wasn't just, you know, a loose cannon, David. David fought cunningly. He was prepared. You know, he was ready. You know, uh, he had... Uh, you know, tactics when he was going in. He fought consistently. Look at verse 10. But David pursued he and 400 men and 200 abode behind, which were faint, that they could not go over the brook uh, Besor. David started with 600 men. 200 men were just too tired after all the traveling that they had done over the past few weeks. And they were down to 400 men, but David pressed on anyway. He was a consistent fighter, just like Paul was. Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have laid hold on a, a eternal life, whereunto thou art also called. Thou hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Listen, David knew the reality of keeping going even when tough things are happening. 200 of these men were so tired they couldn't go any further. 400 men David's left with. And even at that, even when you lose a third of your army, David's still pressing on and going. You see, it didn't matter how many men David was left with. God had told David to go and pursue that he would get victory. So David wasn't looking to how many men was with him. If it was him and Billy Bob and, and, and a couple of other uh, hillbillies that were with him, David was still going. Because David had a promise of God that God was going to give the victory. And listen, no matter what your circumstances are or what your situation in life is or how low the money gets or how bad things get in your life, God can always give the victory. It doesn't matter how bad things are. You know, when they had no food to feed the, to feed the 5,000, what did they do? The Bible says that they, uh, they found a lad, just a young fellow with a packed lunch, and God was able to meet the need. God can meet the need in your life supernaturally when, there, when it looks like everything's dark and there's no way out. You know what? If, uh, David, you know, uh, was ready to fight. You know, he was going to, if nobody went with him, he was going to go. He didn't complain about the 200 men or make excuse because they were staying behind. He just pressed on. Paul again says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are before, reaching forth unto those things which are before, forgetting those things which are, uh, are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God. You know what? If you start looking around at what you haven't got, you'll never have what God wants you to have. Keep pressing forward, keep pressing on, keep going, keep fighting. You know, David fought compassionately. Look at verse 11, we're going to read a few verses. And they found an Egyptian in the field and they brought him to David. And 
look, look at David's heart, all right? Even though David has problems and issues in his life, and they brought him to David and gave him bread and he did eat, and they made him drink water. Verse 12, and they gave him a piece of cake of figs of two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit came again um, again to him. And uh, for he had eaten no bread nor drunk any water for three days and three nights. And David said unto him, to whom belongest thou? And whence art thou? And he said, I am a young man of Egypt, a servant to an Amalekite. And my master left me because three days ago I, was, I felt sick. We made an invasion upon the south. Uh, basically, he goes into telling them where they had made an invasion of and that they had borne Ziglag. Now, if that was me there, and I'm out there giving this guy some food, me bread, a couple of uh, clusters of raisins, and then the guy tells me, yeah, we went down to and we, we attacked the, the Philistines and then we went to Ziglag and we burned that place with fire. Right there, I'm thinking, that was my family you just done that to. That's my house you just set on fire. And you probably beat him to a pulp right then and there, and then ask him for his help. But, but not David. David had compassion on the man. And David strikes a deal with the man. And David says to him in verse 15, he says, Canst thou bring me down to this company? You see, somebody like me would have lost a head at that point and just started laying into the guy. But David didn't. David kept his head when all around him were losing theirs. And the man said, and he answered, Swear unto me by God that thou wilt neither kill me, nor deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will bring thee down to this company. You know, David found an Egyptian to take care of, and he took care of him. You know, he discovered a man that they were helping was the key to finding the Amalekites. And God will do that for you. You know, you just keep doing, doing the right thing in your life, and God will make a way for you. And God gave direction through the Egyptian uh, slave that they found. Listen, it was no mistake that the man took sick three days earlier. It was no mistake that the man got rejected and left behind to rot and to die on his own. It was no mistake that David passed by him that day. It was no mistake that David had a heart to help him that day. It was all in God's providence. It was all God's hand that was working in the situation. Because David was looking to God and God was leading David. And God already had all the things in place for David as he was going along the way. And instead of having the 600 men to look to, God even took away some of the men and made them too tired. So he was left, not where I have all my men with me now, let's go. He's left where a third of my army is gone. I really need God. You know what? David was, uh, was a man that had his eyes fixed upon God. You know, David didn't have this, you know, slash and burn approach or a scorch earth policy in his life. He didn't just want to kill everybody. You know, David was a man that had compassion. He took compassion on this Egyptian, uh, Egyptian man. And in turn, the Egyptian man was going to show him where the enemies, the Amalekites, were that they had burned up his village. At this point, David doesn't know whether his wife, two wives are alive. The men don't know whether their kids are alive. And let me tell you, the, the thoughts that would be going through your mind if an invading army had come and taken your daughters and your wife away, the thoughts of what they were doing to them would have been tormenting the men. 
But David didn't think of those things. David focused upon the Lord and encouraged himself in the Lord. And he kept moving forward. Look at verse 16. And when they had brought uh, him down, behold, they were, spared, uh, they were spread abroad on the earth, eating and drinking and dancing because of the great spoil that they had taken out of the land of the Philistines and out of the land of Judah. And David smote them from the twilight even until the evening of the next day. And there escaped not a man of them, save 400 young men which rode upon camels and fled. This is a wonderful verse. And David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. And David rescued his two wives. Let me tell you, God had preserved David's family, the man's family. God had taken care of the situation. But now that, you know, they get them back, what a wonderful story of God uh, redeeming David's family for him and, and God working in the situation. You know, they, the 400 men with David took on an entire army. You know, these were 400 men that were so encouraged by the time that they found the Amalekites that they couldn't be stopped. They just couldn't be stopped. They were going to fight there all night. The Bible says that David led the battle all night. He didn't leave it to somebody else to go do the fighting for him. David, you know, David fought all night. And he got the... He got the credit for the victory that night. God had done a work in the situation. And because David was so encouraged that he could go and he could win the battle, you know, he could win it. And not just win it, he absolutely destroyed the Amalekites that day. They were left with just 400 men that fled on camels. They absolutely destroyed their entire army that had been going around raiding in the Philistines, raiding in Judah, raiding Ziglag. You know, they absolutely destroyed them. And let me tell you, when me and you will fight and when we will do the right thing and we will let God lead and we will let God pick the battles for us and we will go and we will remember what God has done, you know, uh, God can do great things in our lives. Let me bring some conclusions and, and some applications to what, we, what we've been looking at with David. Each of us in our lives, many times throughout our lives, are going to go through times of difficulty, going to go through times of of darkness. There is dark days ahead for everybody here. You know, it's just the way life works. There is sickness and death that comes into families. There is financial worries. There is discouragement. There is kids going astray when you want them to do right. They don't do right. There's lost jobs ahead. You know, there's lots of negative stuff that's going to happen throughout our church over the next 10 years. But the reality is there's lots of good stuff that's going to happen too. And we need to encourage ourselves in the Lord. You know, uh, we need to be looking to him to make up the difference for us. You know, remember the victories in your life. Remember the small ones. Remember the big ones. You know, remember your salvation and what God done and, and all that that meant. Remember your calling. Do you have a calling? Are you actively a servant of God today? Do you know what your role is here in the local church? Do you have a ministry that you're involved in? Do you have somebody that you're trying to reach or somebody that you're trying to build up or somebody that you're trying to encourage? Do you have somebody following you? You know, remember your calling. Your calling is to be an example. It's to be a light to the world. Be a light. You know, remember who's looking to you. Remember who's leaning upon you. Remember the people around you that, that are looking to you and needing you to go the right way. Remember your God. 
David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. See, David knew God, knew God was his God. I wonder this morning, do you know the reality of God in your own life? Have you come to the place where you've been saved, where you've been born again, the Bible says, where you've been saved from your sin? If you were to die on your way home, would you know you would go to heaven, or would you be unsure of it? Are they questions that you think about? Are you sure? Remember who's, remember your God. Remember how to pray. David remembered how to pray. And listen, sometimes when we're in trouble, praying we think is the last thing we want to do. We want to try to fix the problem first. But David remembered to pray first of all. But David didn't only pray. David remembered how to fight. And you know, just like Samson when he was before the Philistines uh, in and they had him and his eyes were plucked out and he had no strength of his own. The Bible says he prayed, but he also pushed. He asked God for strength. David prayed, and he pushed. And you know what? There's a time for praying, and there's a time for pushing. And oftentimes we need to be doing both. David remembered how to pray. David remembered how to fight. You know, he fought. He was wise when he was fighting. You know, he was compassionate. He was cunning when he was fighting. You know, he was consistent in his fighting. You know, he was moving forward. Uh, he was going to take the ground. The situations that came into his life weren't going to stop him. Nothing was going to get in his way. Nothing was going to block God's plan for his life. David knew his God and knew his God would make a way for him. David fixed his eyes upon God when all else was falling down around him. When other men around him were, were weak at the knees, David stood strong. David looked to God. And the Bible says that David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Isn't that what we need to do? Don't we need that heart where as soon as trouble comes, God becomes our focus, that we fix our eyes upon him, that we look to him, that we bring our needs before him, that we bring our, our, our troubles before him, we ask him, the Bible says, cast your care upon him because he careth for you. David knew the reality of that verse in his relationship with God. David knew the reality. So where does it all start? Well, on a simple note, it all starts when somebody gets saved, when somebody becomes a Christian. The Bible says in John 3, 7, it says, Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. You have to know God. The reason why David was able to look to God in his trials is because he knew who God was. He knew God in a very real way. I wonder this morning, do you know God? Would you know who you're turning to if you were to try and encourage yourself in the Lord? Have you been saved? Have you trusted Christ? Do you know the reality of what the cross done on behalf of mankind? Do you know why Jesus came to die on a cross? For many years, friends, I thought Jesus... I wasn't sure why Jesus came to die on a cross. Because the church I used to go to told me that if I would just do better, I would get into heaven. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that Jesus came to hang on a cross to save us from our sins, and it's because of what he done that day that we can have salvation, that we can have victory. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. That's where encouraging yourself in the Lord will start. 
when you know that you're born again, you know there's a God in heaven. He's the one in control. And when you have problems, you have somebody to go to. Too many times in the world we run to pleasure, we run to a doctor, we run to a counselor, we run to somebody with the problem, and the first place we need to go is we need to go to God with it. Encourage yourself in the Lord. And see the way it says, he encouraged himself in the Lord. There are times in all of our lives where you can't be reliant upon somebody else to keep you going spiritually. You have to get to the place where you can walk yourself as a Christian and you can encourage yourself in the Lord. Let's bow for prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we we do thank you, Lord, for your great love and care, Lord, for us. We thank you for your great love and care for, Lord, a man, your man, Lord, in this situation, David. And, Lord, even though through trials and difficulties, you still were his focus. Oh, God, I pray that you would work in our hearts this morning, that, Lord, whatever the difficulty and the trials might be this morning, Lord, that we would be able to come to the place like David, where we encourage ourselves in the Lord. Lord, that is truly where our strength is going to be, and we need, Lord, we need help doing it because we so soon forget what you've done. Lord, this morning I pray that you would help the people to remember the victories that you've given them, to remember what you've done in times past. And Lord, we'll thank you and praise you for anything you'll do and say in our hearts this morning, for we desperately need a touch from heaven in our church this morning. Lord, in our families, we need you to break through and to uh, encourage us with what's going on. Father, this morning I pray, Lord, for the people here that you would just uh, make uh, your word very real to them. That would be uh, a light to their path this morning, that they might see you in a real way and that you would touch their hearts and draw them close to you, I pray. In Christ's name, amen.